Okay, welcome. Lovely to see so many of you. I, I didn't know if I'd have one or none this morning. Didn't know if I'd be here, but there we are. Um, when we were praying the other night but before we had our meal, um, Joyce and I, I sort of got this uh, impression of an ark uh, and, and us being catapulted into the new year. I said somewhere about March we landed. <laughs> we said, uh, we've surely had some circumstances, but there we are. Uh, be more I expect before we finish this um, but there we are so it's Wednesday the 2nd of January 2008 um, we're going to be looking at the Beatitudes specifically at our Beatitudes I can use the term Lord change my attitude before it's too late we'll have to be doddling around um, the Beatitudes Matthew 5, 6 and 7 uh, dipping into the book The King and I. I don't know if anybody started to read it yet. It's um, not for the faint-hearted, is it? But this one I would recommend to you. It's called uh, Lord Change My Attitude Before It's Too Late. Um, I've had it for, for years. It was published in 2001 and um, I probably got it about 2002. I tried to get some more copies right early on and they said it was out of print. Uh, but you might like to try it now because it's absolutely brilliant. It says on the back, it's not about your actions, it's not about your circumstances, it's not about your relationships, it's not even about your life's calling. It's all about your attitude. And it seems to me that um, he wrote another book here, which I thought I'll have to try and get hold of. I really want to change, so help me God. <laughs> He is so funny. I mean, he is just such a funny writer. The first chapter, he tells you to read the introduction. And in the first chapter, he says, you have read the introduction, haven't you? Well, I'll just wait here for you while you go and do it. <laughs> and then he says, welcome back. Because <laughs> he knows what we're like for skipping the bits. <laughs> and so it goes on like that. Uh, absolutely brilliant. Bit, bit like listening to Bob Mumford, you know. It's um, who's the author? Uh, James James MacDonald. Very interesting thing, isn't it? Funny how, when you've got your sniffer really uh, ready, to, it's published by Moody Press. Anybody want the ISBN? Naught dash eight o two four dash Three double four two dash eight. It's really interesting when you've got your sense of smell, as as a, a shepherd should have, to sniff out to see what's not good for the sheep. The one thing I would say to you about this is he is obviously into heavy shepherding. And the way I found it out was I just was flipping through the book, and uh, he talks somewhere about the um, descending order of authority and he says God first church next family next parents over and I thought you you are you are a uh, you're into heavy shepherding mate because the order is God first family next job everything else church ministry right at the bottom but church is not between family and God. 
that was what the whole thing about the heavy shepherding for a little while I just put it to one side because I thought it's off base um, but I felt the Lord was saying don't don't throw the baby out with the bath water but isn't it amazing how once you've got your senses attuned you can actually see where they are coming from um, it's ever so interesting because young Amanda you know who stayed with us she just spent some time I'll get to the business in a minute She'd been to the International House of Prayer, which is Mike Bickle's thing, and she came back with the teaching uh, that the church is going through the, to, through the tribulation. So there's all this um, setting, getting stuff set aside, you know, planning for uh, the eventuality, getting yourself all geared up. And I said, but sweetheart, we're not. Well, he thinks you are. We are. So I said, I think you better look at it for yourself. Um, because we are not I have it on good authority the Lord's himself we are not going through the tribulation so the enemy has subtly again got a, a large amount of people off, off in a, a wrong direction concerned for their own welfare that's what he's effectively doing puts fear in them and she says I'm you know, getting myself tacked up I say you can't do that <laughs> Just totally unbiblical, totally unbiblical. We're supposed to be getting more and more dependent on the Lord, not more and more dependent on stashing it away in case of, of accident, you know. So just interesting little things. So when I saw that, I thought, well, thank you, Father. He's into heavy shepherding. Bless his heart. But the rest of it is very good. So here we go. Uh, Lord changed my attitude. No good. That little sticker says, "Ask June to do so and so." Can't do that. That's it. Uh, where do you want to go? Right. The first thing I probably want to look at is Matthew 24 to 26. Matthew 7, sorry, 24 to 26. Which is at the end, if you like, of the Sermon on the Mount. But it's good to start there because it will show you what he's actually saying and how um, to read, mark and inwardly digest what is being said. Matthew 7, 24-26 Therefore, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it didn't fall, for it was founded on the rock. Now everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. What he's saying here is, don't be a hearer of the word, be a doer also. And I've often heard that talk talked about that parable of the two builders, of a believer and an unbeliever, but it's patently is not. It's to believers, and he's saying, Shema Yisrael, listen up, you all listen up. Hear what I'm saying and do it. Um... So he's saying, here church, listen, don't just hear these words, do them, put them into practice, because it will be the difference between life and death to you. You'll stand, uh, if you build these things on the rock, you'll stand when the storms come, 
Um, but if you if you don't do them, you'll be like the foolish man, and when the floods come, you'll just be washed away in in the whole lot of it. So we have to hold that intention. Uh, James one twenty two is another scripture where you will see James saying the same thing: "Be not uh, hearers of the word, but doers." Um, good old James. James one twenty two: Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, this verse 23, and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. I've had someone say to me, Oh, I've been reading the Bible lately, and oh, it's enough, convict me, I closed it up quick. I said, that is not, not the purpose of it. That <laughs> when it convicts you, you close it up quick. So we're going to start having a look at these things um, and just to, to so as you know where I'm going, the first thing that we're going to be looking at, and it won't be this week, it will be next week, is that we're going to do some replacement theology. So we're going to replace complaining with an attitude of gratitude because attitude determines altitude, did you know? <laughs> so that's where we're heading. So here we go. Lord, change my attitude before it's too late. My life is a garden. Your life is a garden. Is it a waste, untilled and wild, like an untaught, untrained child? Or is it good soil under the master's hand? Or is my soul his own cherished land? Or has it been sown with his good seed? What's the harvest that comes from this life? Goodness and love, or hatred and strife? O oh Lord, take this stony ground of mine, make it all completely thine. Only then can it ever yield the pleasant fruits of a godly field. Tell me when you want to turn that off, you know, so that you can get space in it. <coughs> so we completed in December our study on the uh, fruit of the Spirit, and we saw that, just to sum up, that love and self-control were like bookends, keeping the rest of the fruit together. Um, I've just been reminded, really, that I typed this out more than a week ago, because God knew that I wouldn't have time to do it this morning. I usually do this fresh bread on the morning that I deliver the message. But in actual fact... The little bits in red on that bit of paper are what I got before it all kicked off this morning. So I thought, God's so kind. He's so kind. He's so good. If you need any foresight, he gives it to you. Mm. You don't have to worry about anything. You can go at his pace knowing. When the phone rang this morning with Stephen and, and that, I felt him say, be on standby. So I was immediately able to say to Stephen, look, I'm on standby, dear. Um, so you just tell me what you want me to do. And it all sort of rolled out from there, so I had a little trip up the road and back again. So we saw that self-control was the bringing of the whole self under the benevolent dictatorship of the Holy Spirit, allowing him to live his life through us. We saw that as we become governed by God himself, there are no longer two lives to be lived, but one. We saw that our entire lives, every aspect, spiritual, mental or physical, need to become subject to the sovereignty of God's Spirit. 
and we saw that we can say with the centurion soldier, I too am a man under authority. That's Matthew 8, 9 and Luke 7, 8, I hope. We saw that the running of my affairs, my attitudes, my actions need to be relinquished and turned over to God's gracious spirit who yearns jealously over us. So the gardener has come through the gate into my garden. The ground of my being is entirely his to do with as he wills. It's his to produce the fruit he desires without hindrance from me. It's he who alone has the right to control the crop production. It's he who decides what shall be done in every area of his garden. My soul is his completely. And the message to the church right now is intimacy. Into me, you see. This is the desire of the Father. It's intimacy. Uh, for too long we've been actually caught up in the second commandment, not the first one, to love our neighbour as ourselves. And now God's getting us into alignment and saying, no, as I said earlier on, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Elohino Adonai Echod, which is the Hebrew for Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. That's the Shema, which we might unpick at some stage. Because that little bit that says Hero Israel means here with a view to obeying. Because <laughs> the Hebrew is very different from the way that our English is. We say, here, listen to this, mm -hmm. you know. But actually it's here, like I was saying, there with a view to doing something about it, not just hearing it. So what about... Stopped. What we're finding that, in fact, we aren't wholly his... And indeed there are areas where we've cordoned our lives off in order that he may not gain entry, perish the thought. We find that rebellion is in our heart towards God and we reserve the right to our feelings, our attitudes, which we think we are perfectly justified in holding, deep in the hidden places of our heart, unwilling or unable to see that these attitudes are the very thing he wants to address. How do you think he sees these? Do you think he's a harsh schoolmaster just wanting to find you out and give you the cane? Or do you see him as a loving father admonishing you for your own good? If you see him as a harsh schoolmaster you need a change of attitude, a change of mind because he's actually the latter. He's a loving father admonishing you for your own good. I'm just being reminded of something that happened to me yesterday and um, I hadn't told Joyce because it was, it was one of those moments where uh, God makes you laugh so much that you sort of want to keep it to yourself for a while. Something was going on, we were praying or something, and it was quite serious. All of a sudden I could see Jesus right in front of me going... <laughs> and then the next thing I saw, he's upside down. And all I could see is his upside down face grinning at me. <laughs> and I just saw it again, just then, upside down, going, oh. I said, Are you playing peekaboo or something? Yeah, <laughs> just to keep me lightened up in the course of all the seriousness that's going on. 
See, Graham says he's a god of joy and laughter. That doesn't mean that the circumstances that we're going through might be absolutely parlous. But the fact is that he's there. His joy, his laughter, his, his bubbly personality will take you through it in a totally different way than if you tried to go through it on your own. I mean, I wasn't expecting this. I've got my head bowed like this, and he's sort of coming up underneath as well. That was what he did. I got my head bowed praying, and he was going, Hello. <laughs> and I'm trying to be all serious and po-faced. <laughs> Do a bit of praying there. So, he's a god of joy and laughter. So, if he wants a change of attitude, a change of mind, it's because it's for our own good. He's doing this in order that he may draw you closer to his heart. It's a case of, you can't bring that thing in here, honey, it'll stink the, stink the place out. Because if he's wanting to draw you into the very throne room, those attitudes are like, uh, if you've ever had a piece of food go off in the refrigerator and the refrigerator's been closed and you open it up and you think, where is that smell coming from? And you have everything out to try and find it. We did it with a lemon once, not here, years ago. <laughs> Uh, someone had left a lemon in the fridge down at the little chalet we had and left the door shut. <laughs> ah, the smell was unbelievable. All shut in there. So she, he says, you can't bring that in here, honey. It'll stink the place out. So it's in his love and grace, he's doing something to get rid of the thing that's stinking the place out. As Graham Cook would say, and I'm not sure which one, it's on one of his soaking CDs, the kingdom, it's about me. How I like to do things, how I like to order things in the world of my heart. So we cry, Lord, change my attitude before it's too late. Because as I said earlier on, attitude very, very much determines altitude. So in this course where we are hoping to study the Beatitudes and our Beatitudes, <coughs> the Sermon on the Mount, and follow Bob Mumford's teaching in The King and You, we'll be looking at our Beatitudes as well because of what I've said, attitude determines altitude. So the books that I will be working on will be this one here, um, this man, um, James MacDonald and uh, The King and I, uh, The Sermon on the Mount by Martin Lloyd-Jones. If you haven't got a copy of that, it is well worth getting hold of a copy of it. Absolutely priceless stuff. What was the author again, please? Which one now? The Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount. Martin Lloyd-Jones. It was Westminster Chapel, wasn't it? Was it Westminster yeah, Chapel? Hmm. Um, another sort of absolute requirement really uh, for your study is um, Matthew Henry's commentary on the whole Bible. It is said that Matthew Henry wrote all of the Old Testament commentary but only a part of the New because he died before his work was finished but it is very very worthwhile getting as a reference book. The whole of it he applies to your Christian walk. It's not a commentary on actually what is happening there. It's a commentary on your heart and your heart attitude. Uh, and it's well worth getting. The other book that I dip into and will be using is the 
Agape Road, that's it right this time, The Agape Road by Bob Mumford, uh, which again is, is something you won't read in five minutes if you're me. Um, but the interesting thing is that the way I dip in and out of books is that they plait like, uh, like ribbons plaiting together because they're all virtually saying the same thing and you can draw from one and then the other. But the one that's really grabbed me, and this has grabbed me like a book, books rarely grab me. But this one is so readable and so sensible um, because he starts with, let's look at the attitude that stinks and now let's look at how to correct it. Which one? Let's, sorry, this is Lord Change Me, my attitude before it's too late. So I will actually be using this to like, replace a complaining attitude with a thankful attitude, replace a covetous attitude with an attitude of contentment, replace a critical attitude with an attitude of love, replace a doubting attitude with an attitude of faith, a rebellious attitude with an attitude of submission. And then the epilogue is changed before it's too late. So it's it's really very very good and would run extremely well alongside what what we're talking about now because he um, uh, fills it in. He says it in a sentence. He puts prayers in there, um, and it's uh, it's very very good. He uses the the children of Israel as his whole thesis, as it were, for doing the book the way they complained. And when, the, when they complained about the manna and then when that dried up they, they wanted fowl and when they got the fowl before it was in their, well it was still on their teeth as he said, the plague struck them for their grumbling, you know. Uh, and um, so we, 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 we don't want to, what's Graham say, grumblers and complainers, ten covenant keepers nil, you know. We, we, we want to become covenant keepers. So it's all about attitudes. So we're never going to get to the heart of God with a bad attitude. And we'll always be holding in tension God's unchangeable nature and love towards us, remembering that he corrects us as is best for us. Have you discovered that we don't actually like being corrected? Our yep. response is not usually, oh bliss, <laughs> oh what joy, oh what bliss, when God points something out. It usually goes in this order. We run, hide, and blame shift in that order. Yes. Can you remember somebody else who did that? Adam and Eve. They ran, they hid, and they shifted the blame. We have not changed, ladies and gentlemen. We still do the same thing. Run away. Hide from him. Run away. And when we're found out, we shift the blame on someone else. It's our father, Adam, that started that. So the truth, when it first comes, as I'm always saying, is almost always negative. And this too needs to be held in tension with what we're going to look at. Because all of this is going to lead us onto the agape road. The road into the Father's heart, into the Father's pleasure and delight, which he feels over every blood-bought child. I think it's in... Uh, James, it says, that the, the Spirit yearns jealously over us. If you've ever been the object of jealousy, of human jealousy, it's a horrendous thing. Horrendous. But when the Holy Spirit yearns jealously over you, he wants you for himself. He wants you as a bride for Christ. So he's yearning jealously that you might be the best, have the best, 
he has his your best interests at heart always so we, we need to always remember that the enemy will will start bombarding you with thoughts that that's not much good for you, is it? But it is. It will all turn to the prophet. Last night, um, something happened, I can't remember, Joyce and I having a little pray or something, and then Joyce walked out, because she didn't know this either. And I looked at her retreating back, and I felt such love for her, I cannot describe it. And I said, Father, that is, that is not normal. He said, no, that's how I feel towards her. It was overwhelming. Imagine if we suddenly start getting that sort of transformed love in our lives, in the body of Christ. What a difference it will make for a start to the way we do church and how we are with one another but more to the point the difference it will make outside just I mean I went up to see my you, some of you know I've had problems with my daughter-in-law uh, oh she has had problems with me and she's actually I hadn't seen Connie since October uh, because she had prevented me from seeing her for reasons best known to herself. Uh, and they turned up on Christmas morning. And now, of course, we've got this crisis this morning. And first, I went through all the stages with this. You know, I'll kill her. <laughs> I had all these imaginary conversations in my mind, knowing that I shouldn't be having them, what I would and wouldn't tell her, when I had the opportunity, which wasn't very nice. Until finally it floated to the surface. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. And I started to do that. But it's, I still didn't get rid of this. It kept coming back and hitting me here. And I said to the Lord, I haven't forgiven her. That's what it is. I suddenly realised that I hadn't forgiven her for the way she was being towards me. So I forgave her and released her. Peace. So comes this morning, we have this urgency and emergency. And I was absolutely at peace. I could hear the Lord saying, be on standby, when it, you know, just went with it. I thought, I've got to go up there. Got three quarters of the way there, my mobile rang, which is a feat in itself. I'm looking at it, trying to drive and think, how do I turn, how do I make this call come through? Because I'm not good at these things. Are you on your way? Yes, I am. It's her now. She's been to the doctor. Are you on your... Yes. Oh, well, I just wanted to tell you that um, I've, they've given me anti-inflammatories and um, and you need you can turn around and go back if you like. I said, darling, I'm just passing the pub. I might as well come in and have a good look at you, see how you are. There was no rancour in my heart towards her, not one scritic. I just wanted to see her. And while I was talking to her, I could see the Lord ministering to her. Her face went smooth. She seemed to shine. And I was just able to just sort of stroke her cheek and say, oh, sweetheart, you know, because she'd been in, she's got a kidney infection. That's what it was. And the little and of course, bless her, mum had given her this big piece of paper with, if I tell you, you know, dial 999 and this is where you live. Oh. And she got this all out for them. I'm saying, you've been so, you're brilliant, you know so calm about it and uh, so it was a good little visit 
And I know really that Michelle would have rather I hadn't gone up there because it heaping coals, is it? <laughs> but it was my own attitude inside. I thought, Lord, you've taken me through it and dealt with me. Because some of you may know that it was left that my son wanted to speak to me. So I'm gearing myself up for my interview, aren't I? I'm going to be interviewed now by my son, which actually means I'm going to get a dressing down because I'm not being the grandmother that I should be and I don't realise how I'm robbing my granddaughter. I know what's going to come, but my problem, again, was not rehearsing something that would absolutely... <laughs> I'm not proud of it, but I was a powerful woman before I was born again. Ask Sue. And so, of course, whenever something like this comes up, that has a tendency to rise up in me. So I managed to get myself to peace, and I said to the Lord, you know, you, you, you just got to take over here. And he said, I've got a strategy. I'll tell you what it is. And I want you to follow it, you know. Um, I'll give you what the strategy is and you, you will follow that strategy. I said, well, please hold on to me because I don't want to, you know, for the sake of a carnal moment, really enjoy uh, reading my son's fortune for him. Like, if I hadn't been like I was, darling, you wouldn't be doing the job you're doing because it's because of the way, the woman I am, you're like that. So I can't now become a cuddly nanny because it suits you. But I thought, no, you're not going to say that at all. You're going to say nothing of the sort. What God did was the strategy he gave me, which came to me like that, and I haven't used it yet, whether I will or not, I don't know, was absolutely unbelievable. And it took me three or four days to figure out whether he actually wanted me to do this thing. Years and years ago, Stephen wanted to take out a life insurance policy on me. Which would have meant him putting money into my bank account so that ostensibly I'm paying the life insurance. Because his money is his security. So I prayed about this and I felt the Lord say, do as he's asking you to do. And the scripture he gave me was... Uh, when Naaman the Syrian was healed from leprosy and his master wanted to go into the temple of Rimmon and bow down there um, he said to Elijah I think it was will you forgive me if I go with him on his arm because he doesn't understand like I do that the Lord is God and he said go in peace and that was the scripture that he gave me in other words it's okay you do that so I went ahead and did it. So for years this thing's been running. I think when I snuff it, it'll pop out about 100,000, something like that. It's a big one. 90-odd quid a month he pays. So this is there. All of a sudden, I know what he's going to say, you see. What he's going to do is to try to blackmail me into doing what he wants me to do. That's what is going to be the way it's going to go. I'm not daft. It went like that. I said, Lord, that's not kind. <laughs> Go and do it, he said, because the thought that came into my mind was, we had someone at the weekend, and she makes wills. In the course of conversation, she just said, blah, 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 and when I was writing this will, for, I said, do you make wills? She said, yes. I said, I need to do that. I said, I've got this huge insurance policy on my life, and I've got, I haven't got a will. 
So anyway, in two seconds, it's done. She's going to do it for me and it'll all go rolling on. As they said that, phone Stephen and tell him that you want to will the money three ways. I thought, just do it. So I rang him, and he's just going out the door, and I said to him, well, darling, I said, I uh, don't want to stop you, but um, I'm, going to make a, I'm, going, I'm going to make a will because of that insurance policy, and I'd like to split it three ways. Oh, you don't have to do that, Mum, it won't attract tax, you can just go. I said, no, no, you're missing the point. I'd like to will it three ways. What do you mean? I've got to go. I thought, you know what I mean. Because what God has said to me is, you, if, he, if that bothers him, it may not, but if it bothers him, you got him like a puppet on a string. I think I'll will it to the cat's home yeah. this week. I think I'll leave it to a Christian organisation next week. I can play him in exactly the same way as he wanted to play me. I thought, I said, Lord, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't say it. And he said to me, uh, Nathan the prophet goes to David and tells him a parable. He gives him a parable about, you're absolutely silent. I could hear a pin drop. He gives him a parable about this man who had only one ewe lamb and this other man who took that ewe lamb and he wanted to kill it. And it, That man must die. That man is you. And he said, you're not going to do it. But my strategy is, before he speaks to you, you, you say to him, darling, can I talk about this? Will, you know, hypothetically, because it may not bother you, you may say, well, I'll cancel it anyway. In which case, all of you will lose. You'll lose, Connie will lose, and Michelle will lose. But hypothetically, I've actually got something that I could use to make you do what I want you to do. So I came in, God's strategy for me was to come in with the same strategy that he wanted to use against me. Haven't done it yet. Don't know if I will. But the important thing is that I need to get my word in before he gets his in. If I got mine in, he probably would never get his in. Because he's likely to say, I don't care, it doesn't matter, I'd cancel it. Well, that's fine. You'll be the loser. So will Connie. Don't know. I thought, I just was utterly amazed at the way that God plays the chess game. You know? And then this morning, this other one turns up, like the, uh, the, the googly that I wasn't, wasn't expecting, where I have to go up there. And it's like God is just taking all the ground from under Stephen of his criticism of me. Because this morning I had to go dashing up to see Michelle. If I get to see him today, it will be, can I just talk to you about the will? Because at the end of the day, I'm not going to do anything he doesn't want me to do. But I have the potential to use it, which is what, what you need to understand is that they were using Connie, yeah. not allowing me to see her, using the child as a weapon. Now that is, that is I could call it despicable. The child doesn't understand, but I know what they're doing. And what will probably be if I said, well, I can't change, dear, well, then you can't see Connie. 
But the whole criticism is that I'm not being a proper granny to Connie. So they're not even allowing me... No, they were here for an hour on Christmas morning. Oh, I've got to go, I've got to go. That's fine, you know. But I suppose what I'm saying is, whatever situation you are in, if you can still yourself, God's strategy is astonishing. Because I kept saying, I, I laughed, because I thought that's the sort of thing I'd do as, in my unregenerate days, you know. You think you've got me, mate? I've got you over a barrel, how do you like these apples? <laughs> But the Lord said, no, 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 this is okay. And he said to me, you are in high-level warfare. It's not to do with Stephen or Michelle. It's to do with the spirit that is against me, that is working out through them. So I'm in high-level warfare. So he showed me that I'm actually shielding them like this. And if I bow the knee to what Stephen wants me to do, I'll actually break their cover because I'll be bowing down to the wrong God and it would open up the floodgates for them not to be blessed he showed me that I was like like got my arms around them even though they don't want it they are in this protection of God because of the way I walk with the Lord and that's the very thing that the spirit behind it is up against and wants to destroy I thought it was pretty interesting that that's what you call a little rabbit trial but Take some following. Have you followed where no. I'm going? No, I didn't think you would. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Yeah. The essence of it is that if you wait on God, and no matter how difficult the situation, He will give you a strategy. But if you try to wade in on your own, like I would have done, I'd have fought flesh with flesh. But as it is, I would go in on the spirit. And I would not allow it to come down to personalities at all. Because the issue is never the issue with God. Mm. So what this is actually all about is high level spiritual warfare. And I didn't know that I'd be sharing it with you guys this morning, but you might as well find out the reality of the way life actually is. God uh, uses people, Satan uses people, and the fights and the uh, disagreements that you find yourself up against in your lives are often instigated by the enemy himself. That is why you have to have the strategy from God. A couple of days ago I actually saw, um, you know, like you used to have the underground bunkers and the, and the light with the shade and, and all the terrain and the two pushers. And I saw myself in the strategy room before God was giving me the strategy for this thing. He means no harm to Michelle and none to Stephen and none to Connie. But I am the instrument that he, he has to keep me in a place of being in the spirit so that I can actually counter the spirit is coming at me but without harming the people. But I have to bring understanding. And so that was why, to my astonishment, it gives me this strategy. And my first thought was to totally dis... I said, that is my fallen mind to do something. That is just the sort of thing I would have done in my old, you know. There was no carry-through going on with it at all. Absolutely no carry-through. It is simply like Jesus would lay down a parallel or a parable. And, and they would see, that's why they gnashed their teeth, that he was talking about them. He tells them a story, and he said, and, and he doesn't have to say this is you. They know it. 
So they take up stones, you know, to stone him. Uh, but I found the last few weeks very interesting, very informative, and um, just astonished by God's ability to to bring. I don't know what the outcome will be. I know what I've prayed for, and um, I believe I've prayed in line with what God wants to do. And that is the important thing as well. When you're in a panic situation you can find yourself throwing prayers at the dartboard like you know hoping something will hit the thing in the middle they're all falling down they're hanging out the dartboard on the outside edge and it's like God's saying which one do you want me to answer uh, but when you begin to recognize that uh, you remember that the soaking CDs we've heard where Graham says about permission is granted to ask hear me saying yes uh, hear me saying yes. Hear me saying yes. Now, that doesn't mean you can pray for just what you fancy. That means that because he wants to draw us into that place of intimacy, we will then hear his heartbeat, hear his strategy, and pray in accordance with his strategy, knowing those prayers will be answered. It's not any of this. It's none of that. You're absolutely sure that he will answer because he's given you the what do you want in this situation how many times have you heard God say actually what do you want to happen here I find that quite frightening because what I want to happen may not be what he wants to happen he's always got a higher path so I've got to find out what he wants to do so okay father what's your highest good this thing up here says, no matter what any man does to me, I will never seek to do harm to him. I will never set out for revenge. I will always seek nothing but his highest good. That is a decision and a conviction of the mind and it's a deliberate choice of the will. Now in all of this, my determination was to keep a sweet spirit towards Stephen, Michelle, Connie don't come into it, bless her, she's just being used like a pawn. But it's the enemy that's using her. It's the enemy that is doing all of this. He just wants to bring this ministry down. That's what he wants to do. Well, tough. The answer to that is no. But in, in uh, terms of the battle itself, you begin to see, and as Graham says, you've got to relish the fight. Because you're not up against people. I have no enemies. People are not my enemy. They may want to be my enemy. They may act like they're my enemy. But I will not treat them like my enemy because them's not. I only have one. And he's very clever. He's implacable. But he's no match for the Holy Spirit. So... That is what that little scenario is all about. I hope I've made that clear now. Listen to it later and see if I have to straighten it out. Can I just ask a quick yeah. question? Uh, so what you're saying, this what you told us, is that they are trying to bring this ministry down. The enemy is. Oh, the enemy is. Okay. Yeah. Not, not Through them. Yeah. Yes. Bring your ministry Absolutely. Down. Because the, 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 the cry has always been, I want you to be available for me. Sorry, I'm not in your employ, I'm in his. Mm. Because it's very hard. 
I'm not a normal granny, neither is Joyce. But we have a call on our lives. And and the, the further on you go, the more you recognise that if you've got a call on your life, you have to fulfil it. And that's all there is to it. And that is costly, because it will cost in terms of close relationships. But at the end of the day, they will be blessed immensely. At the end of the day, they will all be saved. I know it in my heart. I know it. So it's worth getting misunderstood, allowing all this stuff to happen. I only got caught up when I went into my emotions. Because I said to the Lord, whatever's the matter with me, I kept crying. He said, you're in your emotions, you'll never win it like that. You've got to get out of there. So you've got to not harden yourself, but you've got to come up higher. It's altitude. <laughs> so we're back to attitude determines altitude. Without a right attitude, I couldn't have gone to the Lord to get the strategy. So I had to thrash my attitude out at this level to get there, to get the strategy, which I may or may not use. may have been um, a dummy run. Uh, but I've learned so much from it. It's just absolutely amazing. God is not vindictive or retaliatory towards my son and daughter-in-law. He's not going to withhold anything from them. But what he did was put a something in my hand that would actually fire straight back. See, what he does is when the enemy does something to you, he gives you the same thing to hit the enemy with. So he put into my hand a sword. He got a sword, I've got a sword, and the sword I've got is bigger. So how do you like that? And also the thing it was going to do was to show Stephen how he was allowing himself to be controlled and how really we needed to do something about that. Because he's absolutely like this. It's, it's, it's sad to behold it. Because it should not be. So God sometimes says, it's gone far enough in coming in here. And whenever I have a, a chat with him, he always understands spiritual things. He's the one that came in, flew in over England from a trip abroad somewhere, and he said, "Cool, Mum, he said, I could feel the spiritual atmosphere as we came in over England. He said, it got darker and darker and darker. He has a, a very strong spiritual awareness. He wouldn't want to do it, but when it suits him, he'll talk. So, when it suits God, he'll hear. He'll hear. It's all, it's, all, it's all to do with your level of trust, of understanding the battle you're in, of knowing how to position yourself, and get your attitudes right. It's all to do with all that. It's all good. So, back to where we were. Uh, these are these uh, attitudes bits are foundational teachings, the foundation of the walk, and they're repeated through Paul's letters, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, so-called, are God's reasonable standard for us. They're not unattainable. If you like, it's the normal Christian life. It's just that we've never been exposed to them before. So before you start making resolutions like, I'm going to try harder, I'm going to be more loving, or whatever is happening with you right now, Please stop. Doing it yourself won't work. That's what you've done up to now, and look where that's got you. So if you don't allow Jesus to live his life through you, if you don't allow him to accomplish 
what he wants through your yielded heart, your efforts will surely fail. Because it's Colossians 1.27 I have been crucified with Christ. No, sorry, that's not Colossians 1. Start again. Colossians 1.27 is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Galatians 2.20 is I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. One little word there I live by faith of the Son of God. All the most recent translations say in the Son of God. The King James says of, because the faith that we live is his faith. He lives in us, therefore it is his faith that is in us, not us trying to work up a degree of faith. One little word there. That is the way I read it. I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Because of his life at work in me, I have his faith to the extent I will allow it. And we're all on a journey into believing God more and more. It's not believism. It's not I'm believing for this. That's circumstantial truth. Situational truth. In this circumstance, I'm hanging on and I'm trusting God in this, gripping my teeth, you know. Faith of the Son of God is what Jesus would know his Father wanted to do in that situation and he's at peace, whatever that is. That is why it is so crucial for us to find out what God wants to do in any given circumstance. Sometimes he will say, this is what I want to do, you pray this. Other times he will say, what do you want? And that is the one that floors me. What do you want? Because I'll start saying, well, I'd like this and this and this. Oh, hang on a minute. Yeah, and I, uh, uh, there's a couple of addendums here. I'd like that as well, of course. That needs to be in there. And I'm thinking, I don't like praying like this. I'd far rather pray what you give me to pray because I know that I'm all right then. It's like when someone's sick, like Joyce, and she's not sick. When someone's got something like Joyce has at the moment, we, we wait until he tells us how to pray. Otherwise, we're just throwing things at the dartboard. We wait for words of knowledge to come. Gina brought us a word of knowledge that was very fruitful, which has led to, to Joyce being able to get honest before God and, and see, you know. So we are fully expecting that she's going to come completely through this because it's not what it appears to be. So the message is always the same. Absolute surrender to the one who loves us and gave himself for us. We are not our own, we belong to him. A personal, intimate, daily walk with him is the only thing that will fuel the fire of your spiritual victory. God is just busy removing all the roadblocks to intimacy. That's all he's doing. He's not condemning you for your attitudes. He's saying, sweetheart, we've got to get this thing out of the way. It, as I said, it'll stink the place out because I want to bring you into a place of friendship. We'll be looking at that later on, I expect. But you go from sonship to servanthood to friendship. You tell your friends the secrets on your heart. You don't tell everybody. He wants friends. 
where he can tell us what's on his heart so that we weep with him, we laugh with him, we pray the prayers Jesus prays. There were some things happening over the Christmas time where I found myself saying, Lord Jesus, thank you that you are interceding for me. Thank you that you're praying for me. I was so aware that he himself, because nobody else knew except Joyce what was going on, and so therefore he himself was praying for me, and I was so aware of it. It makes it so real that you know you have a great high priest. So God's just busy moving all the roadblocks to intimacy, and looking to Jesus is the only way to the Father and the Agape Road. Agape Road. And looking to Jesus is the only way to walk with God. He alone can lead us out of the wilderness of our murmuring and complaining into the joy and fullness of God's abiding presence. So here's a prayer. I think it comes from here. Um, if you want to follow it afterwards, you can say so, and I'll read it sentence by sentence. Lord, I do not have the strength to follow you. Forgive me for thinking that while I needed you to save me, I was going to change myself, or even that I didn't need to change. I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to pour grace and strength into my life. Every day of failed attempts reinforces how desperately I need your help, how sick I am inside. Please fill me, Holy Spirit, and give me the strength that I need for every difficult circumstance and person I encounter. Lord, I ask that you would show me my sinful attitudes and then help me to put them off and put on Christ every moment of every day. Cause me to keep short accounts with you Make me aware of my attitudes which are sinful in your sight. Deal with me ruthlessly, correct me severely. Teach me to walk in the love to, to walk the love walk for Jesus' sake and in his name. Amen. So if you want to follow me in that prayer, we'll perhaps do it when I finish the session and I can read it sentence by sentence and you can pray it after me. So if you pray that prayer, you can be sure that God will respond to it. Sin is dealt with. We're never going to be judged for sin. Jesus took it on the cross for us, but we have a deposit in us, the old sin nature, which I really did find out over those few days with Stephen and Michelle. I'd still got that thing, and it was alive and well and living in the middle. So God wants us to identify it and come to the realisation that all our sinful behaviour patterns though they may be directed at others, are actually sin against him, and they affect our love walk. If you want the proof of that, have a look at Psalm 51, when David had gone and um, had his way with Bathsheba, and had killed her husband, and he says, against you and you only have I sinned, and done this evil in your sight. He knows who he's sinned against. So we'll see all this when we look at biblical submission, that if we won't bow the knee in our circumstances, it's against him that we're rebelling, and that makes him sad, not angry, because it cuts us off from the intimacy that he so desires. 
It's rubber hit road time for the church, which is us, me included. In all of this, as you can see, I don't exclude myself. Remember, he cannot do through me what he hasn't been able to do in me first. So it's a principle for all of us. He cannot do through you what he hasn't done in you. So what I'm teaching is what I've experienced and am experiencing, and we're in this together. None of this excludes the grace and love that Father feels for us. But our bad attitudes towards others and ourselves and our lack of gratitude towards him, all sorts of things are barriers to the blessing and the intimacy that Father wants to bestow on us. This is all for the good. It's not legalism. It's not about trying to have a good attitude. The answer is always the same with God. It's me, he says. I'm the answer. He will not let us go anywhere else. So we will be looking at what God requires of us, how he seeks our cooperation in the inmost parts. Remember, he initiates, we respond. So as we go through this course, remember that he's looking for a response from you. And that response will be spelt with an R too. It's repentance. Change your mind, have another thought, and keep on having another thought. Repentance is moment by moment choice to think differently, speak differently, act differently. It's a change of heart. Um, something was trying to bombard my mind this morning when I was having my time with the Lord. And I just sat there and said, I am not having those thoughts. I'm not I can't remember what they were, I'm not even going to try. I'm not going there and I'm not having those thoughts. It is actually as you can feel them coming towards you. And they're always negative, they're always critical, they're always judgmental. And they're always about somebody else. And I can't remember what it was, but I just said, I'm not having that thought. And it went. I think it was to do with some church leaders or something trying to push in because I was having a quiet time. So Matthew 15:18 says, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. You can get your external behaviour in order, but inside you'll still be a mess. It's a bit like the guys up the road, bless them, the uh, brethren. All the men wear the white shirts and the black trousers and the Bible under the arm. Out external observance. The girls wear long skirts and a cloth on their head to show they're under submission. Means diddly squat. Absolutely nothing. One day I had something, some reason to go up there and ask them to stop something like there was a JCB going in the back garden there at something like 10 o'clock at night. And I saw what was in the abundance of the lady's heart when I asked her if her son could desist keeps him off the street she said I said not at 10 o'clock at night and it, was, it was like shaking the foundations of the house he was out in the um. so God is not interested in soldiers that just looks the part, look the part he's interested in the heart and Proverbs 23 7 says as a man thinks in his heart so is he and attitudes are patterns of thinking formed over a long time a long period of time uh, we looked at the way we used paint and wallpaper to cover over the cracks in our lives. Remember that a few weeks ago. Intentionally or unintentionally. And that right now the Spirit of God is saying, no honey, this needs to be stripped off. 
and we need to start again. What we have is paint and wallpaper versus the Holy Spirit's construction and he's coming to the church ready or not to bring us back to himself. So it's not about your circumstances, it's not about your actions, it's not about your relationships, it's not even about your life's calling. It's all about your attitude. So before we go any further, you may need to make a commitment, you know, you know these little bits of paper now, don't you, to the Lord to hear what's going to be said and do something about it, because hearing just isn't enough. We saw that in James 1.22. And never has the Word of God been so available as it is now and made so little difference uh, in the way that Christians live their lives. So God is calling us back to himself and this is not the voice of man it's, or a denomination. It's the heartbeat of God saying the ways of the Lord are right and the righteous will walk in them but transgressors will stumble in them. That's Hosea 14 verse 9. So I'm going to give you these little bits of paper in a minute. And the whole thing you'll find boils down to choices. It's not about feelings. I, it, it's not about feelings. You choose to agape other people. You choose to, or agape, however you pronounce it, pronounce it. Agape other people. It's a choice on the basis of facts. And the consequences of wrong choices in the past, which have brought you to where you are, um, probably need you to think well I need a change of something here because these choices have brought me here um, up the creek without a paddle I thought I was thinking about that this morning I thought up the creek without a paddle I'm thinking there you are in a rowing boat trees all around up this muddy creek nothing to get you out you're stuck we say it so loosely don't we up the creek without a paddle and I'm thinking that is not a good place to be in nobody about you're stuck up the creek can't get out no way of controlling which oh no don't want to go there um, so I've got these little bits of paper and they say question one are you open to considering what the Lord has to say about changing your attitude yes no I shall give you one in a minute. Question two, are you willing to be changed? Yes, no. Are you willing to change your attitude? Yes, no. Are you willing to focus exclusively on your attitude and not someone else's? Yes, no. Are you willing to go after this change of attitude as though your life depends upon it uh, because it does? Yes, no. So we'll have this in a minute. So three little questions. Am I a thankful person? That's number one. Number two, am I seeing the blessings of thankfulness in my life? Uh, if you are full of joy, you're being a thankful person probably because joy will come as a result uh, of the awareness of God's blessings in little things and thanking him for them. If you're not thankful, you're probably not very joyful. You're far likely to be more critical and under circumstances all the time. So number three is, am I choosing thankfulness over complaining? Okay, thank you for listening. That's it for this morning.